to Second uh, Corinthians, the book of Second Corinthians, chapter ten. Second Corinthians, chapter ten. This morning, as we go into God's Word, I tell you, I, I love God's Word. I, I I love His Word. I love the way that He speaks to us, the way that He moves in us as we study God's Word. This last week, our uh, the Assemblies of God in South Dakota had their annual meeting. We call it a district council. This year it was in Sioux Falls. And so uh, Joni and I were there and, and all of our staff were there on Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, came back Wednesday. And uh, there was one session. In fact, uh, Barry Saylor, who's part of our church, presented a session. It was very difficult for me. It really was. He was talking about the challenges of communicating the message of Jesus Christ to successive generations. Um, and and I, I was reminded again how we need the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of God's Word to reach every generation. When I first began pastoring um, 30 years ago, been in the ministry for some time, but I was a brand new lead pastor one of the great challenges that I remember initially was how, how do I effectively communicate God's word? I was 20-something. Most of the people in the church at that time that we pastored in Minnesota were 60, 70, and 80-something. And I, and I remember thinking, how do I communicate the message of Jesus Christ to people who are old enough to be my grandparents? Who, who have lived so much more life than I do. And I really felt inadequate. But I found that as I, as I simply pointed to Jesus and, 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 and brought God's word, the word is timeless and it affects every generation. Now, the older I get, uh, now I, I look and I say, how, how, how do we take this gospel to successive generations, the next generations. And, and how do we do that effectively? And I come back to the same answer. There's power in the Word of God. And there's power. Of course, there's ultimate, immeasurable power in the Holy Spirit, and He speaks to us. You know, I, I, I'm still almost not overwhelmed because it's not that at all. But how is it that I, I bring one message and there are people here in this room as young as children and as old as people in their 80s, 90s, and even sometimes over 100, and one message applies to every one of them. What a challenge. And yet God's word is powerful. And so that's why we, that's why we, that's why we keep going back into the word. That's why almost every message that I preach, I start off with saying, uh, would you turn in your Bibles to... Because I know that as long as we do that, we're going to be okay. We lift up Jesus. We point to the timeless principles of God's word, and he changes people's lives. So you're there, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In, uh, in recent months, some of you here or some of you online have come into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. 
you have surrendered your life to Jesus and he has begun a transforming work in you. Some of you can look back a few years or even a number of decades and say, I remember when I surrendered my life to Jesus, and you can point to some of the significant changes that have happened in your life during that time. It's remarkable. It's powerful. When we surrendered our lives to him, we gave him everything. You didn't section off parts of you and say, I'll give you this, I'll hold this back. Or if you did, then he truly wasn't Lord of your life. You gave him everything. Total surrender to Jesus means giving him everything, including our minds. Our minds. We give him our minds. This includes our thoughts, our attitudes, our worldview. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said this, Love the Lord your God with all of your, if you know it, all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your, your mind. All of your heart, that, that eternal part of us, not this, this pump that's within us with, with all of the, the apparatus there, but but the, the very essence of us, the deepest part of us, the eternal part of us, all of our soul, our, our, our psyche, our emotions, and all of our, our minds, when you gave your life to Jesus, you gave him your mind as well. It's very important. That's foundational to what we're going to be looking at this morning and actually into next week. Of all that God has given us, our minds are one of his greatest gifts. Our brain, some of you may be surprised by this, our brain weighs slightly more than three pounds, some a little bit more, some a little bit less. It, intelligence is not determined by weight of your brain, but a little bit more than three pounds in the, in the adult body. Our mind begins working in our mother's womb, and it continues to the very point of death. Even a person whose, what we say, mind has gone, even at the very core of it, there is still a basic functioning ability that keeps all of this running, our mind. It's always working. Decade after decade, it never stops. Your mind never, even when you're sleeping, it never stops. And some of you know that for sure. Yeah, my mind's always going. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Verses, listen, listen for the, the appearance of, uh, of our thoughts or our minds. Verses 3 through 5 says this, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage battle according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Some of your translations may say for the destruction of strongholds. Or the, or the demolishing of strongholds. We are destroying arguments and all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that last line particularly. How we are to take every thought captive, making it obedient to Jesus Christ, your thoughts, your minds, the things you think about. Now, again, I mentioned a moment ago, we're going to look at this next week again, but I'm asking you today, 
Very important question, are your thoughts or your thought patterns, are there thoughts or thought patterns that need to be brought into obedience to Jesus Christ? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I need to ask that question. Are there some thoughts or thought patterns that need to be brought into obedience to Jesus Christ? Are there thoughts that are preventing you from becoming all that God wants you to be? Some thoughts. Some of your thinking. Do you have thoughts that, that perpetually rob you of joy and peace? Are, are there thoughts that when you immediately when you think of them, you become angry or critical or cynical? Maybe even thoughts that, that create, because they're so strong and so powerful, that it is creating physical illness or pain. Your thoughts. So what does God's word say about our thought life? First of all, if you're taking notes, our thoughts precede our actions and our behaviors. We do what we first think. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 7 says this. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. As a person thinks within themselves, what, they, what goes through their mind, that is what they become. That's what that verse is saying. Uh, I referred to James a little bit earlier about wisdom, but James chapter 1 also says that the deadly effects of sin do not just show up in our behavior, they begin in the desires of our mind. It leads to death, but it starts with a desire in a person's mind. Now, this is not a great revelation, but every horrible deed that has ever been done always started in someone's mind. It's a battleground. It's a powerful thing. It's a dangerous thing. It's something that needs to be submitted and surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, what we think, we will eventually become. Let me say that again. What we think, what goes through our minds, we will eventually do. And that, that can be both bad and good. If you allow angry or bitter thoughts, then you are going to become a very angry and bitter person. Started with the thought, but it became, they became what they, they thought about. If you allow thoughts of self-pity, and there's a lot of that going around, but if you allow thoughts of self-pity, you will become a very self-centered person. If you allow immoral thoughts, if you allow that into your mind and you entertain those thoughts, you will do immoral things. You know, those things make the headlines one place or another. I can't believe a person would do something like that. It didn't start with that action. It started in their mind. Now, if you're surrendered to Jesus Christ, 
If you understand that there is a Savior, His name is Jesus, and He's my only hope, and I surrender my life to Him, if He does a transformational work in us, then we begin thinking godly thoughts, we begin thinking of Him, we begin looking outside of our own selves, and your thinking is surrendered to Him, that too will be seen in your life. Think of some of the most godly, um, not perfect because... That's not going to happen this side of heaven. But I'm talking about a very godly influence in your life. I promise you it didn't happen simply because God randomly chose that person to be close to them. It happened because they, 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 they surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. And there were things that began in their mind that, that eventually came out in their behavior. They influenced your life, not just because of that moment, but they influenced your life because they had a mind that was surrendered to Jesus Christ. The Bible shows us how three things, we're just doing a lot of teaching this morning, but the Bible shows us how three things can negatively affect our minds. Three things. You can write these down. First of all, there's our flesh. Our flesh. What's our flesh? Well, Romans chapter 7, verse 18, Paul alludes to this. He wrote this, I know that in me dwells no good thing. Now, you have to understand, when Paul wrote this, he's a believer. His life has been transformed. But he's very, very quick to acknowledge that in myself, there's nothing, in, in, to paraphrase, if it's up to me, you're, gonna, you're not going to see anything good. He recognized, <coughs> excuse me, he recognized that there's this flesh, this fallen part of us. You know the story all the way back at the very beginning when Adam and Eve chose to sin when they, when they disobeyed God. All of a sudden, something happened to them. They, they didn't die immediately, but there's a part of them that did die. Uh, they, they became what we call a fallen nature. And ever since then, Every person who's ever been born is born with that same fallen nature. And we need to be redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was talking about his flesh. The culture around us can affect our thinking. This is the second thing. The culture around us. So not only our flesh, but also the culture around us. The Bible calls this, it's an interesting couple of words, uh, and, and sometimes you'll hear this and you think that that person made it up or it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's something that is kind of a church language. No, it's a Bible thing. The Bible refers to the world. The Bible refers to the world. It says there's this world thinking. It warns us about the world system in which we live. So what is the culture around us? Well, our world can influence us through what we read, through the media that we watch or the, the websites that we go to. Uh, the, 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 our greater culture around us, and this goes for any person in any culture, uh, the, the influential people who are far off that we may not necessarily know, but because we watch them or listen to them or because we value their opinion, they're a part of a world system, but they can influence. And also, the people who are very close to us, the people that we allow closest into our lives. How many people, their thinking has been changed because someone or something's voice is speaking so loudly that it, it changes how they think. 
See, our culture can change our thinking. Listen to this. This is from Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, says this. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Jesus Christ. Now, there's some key words there. Says, he's warning them. He's warning this church in Colossae. He says, watch out for the philosophies of this world. There are, there are philosophies in this world that says, this is how you're supposed to be. This is how you're supposed to think. This is what is right, and this is what is proper. He's, he warned about traditions as well. The traditions of people to, to uh, th- th- this is how we've always done it. And our culture can have its traditions and it can make these things happen. Talks about principles. Not timeless, eternal, word-centered principles, but principles in this world that says this is the right thing. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says this, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Notice the, at the end part of that verse. Escape the corruption that is in this world caused by evil desires. There's a lot of corruption in this world that has been caused by people's evil desires. It started in the mind and it influenced beyond that. See, our, our culture, we live in a culture, and this would go, if, if we were living in Europe and I were preaching this message there, if we were living in the Far East, any place in this world, we could say that our culture around us Um, uh, has a a way of changing us with its constantly shifting standards, it can affect even the thinking of many Christians. There are many, many people, in fact, I'm going to go so far as to say this, there are even many churches or congregations who are so passionate for cultural relevance that they have abandoned their Christian identity. Say that again, that's a hard statement. But there are many individuals, people who claim faith in Christ, and there are churches or congregations who are so passionate about uh, a particular thing or being culturally relevant to what is happening or the world around us that they have walked away from their true Christian identity. They're Christian in name only. Two weeks ago, I mentioned we were briefly one day in Minneapolis. We're driving around, and I, I, I have a way of looking at churches. I mean, I'm a pastor, so I, I see a church, and oftentimes on a billboard or there will be on a flag waving outside, and, 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 and by what is, what is waving in the, in, the, in the wind or what is, is being said on that marquee is declaring What is most important to us is the culture around us more than the timeless, eternal, godly principles of his word. And that's bothersome to me. You see, our culture has a way of influencing people's thinking. Culture can influence our thinking. Satan can also influence our thinking. 
Satan can, je- can suggest thoughts into your mind. In Luke chapter 20, you don't need to read it now, but in Luke chapter 22, it says that Satan put into Judas's mind to betray Jesus. In Matthew chapter 16, Satan briefly influenced Peter's thinking. 2 Corinthians, earlier in this chapter that we're looking at here, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says the God of this age, and by God I mean small g, the God's talking about Satan, the enemy, the God of this age blinds people's minds. Think of that. Satan has a way of blinding people's minds. Their minds, not just their hearts, not just their behavior. The God of this age, this world, blinds people's minds. Jesus called Satan the father of liars, and Satan effectively twists truths, and he disguises lies to make them appealing. The enemy can take something so corrupt and dress it up and make it look so appealing that we think that it's right. Satan can suggest things to us. I wonder, how many people are there? How many people are there in our world? How many people, even just a short distance from here today, suffer mentally and emotionally because they have believed Satan's lies? How many people have been open to it? They've compromised something, and the enemy comes in with a lie, and they go, that sounds good, that sounds important, that sounds valid. And they suffer emotionally, and they suffer in their families, and they suffer in their bodies because they bought the lie. Satan still lies. He has from the very beginning. And he's still lying to people today. So all three. All three of these things can influence our minds and our thinking. These deadly influences, our flesh, the surrounding culture, and the enemy can establish spiritual strongholds. I'm going to say that again. All three of these influencers, our flesh, the culture around us, and the enemy can establish spiritual strongholds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 again, verse 4. This is in, a, uh, in the NIV translation now. It's a little bit different wording. It says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power or godly power to demolish strongholds. I want you to see that last word. If you, if you, uh, if you underline in your Bibles, go ahead and underline that word strongholds. It literally means, it's a fascinating word, stronghold means a fortress, and sometimes it is translated that way, or a high-walled military installation. So I just want you to imagine in your mind something like, something like a medieval castle with a lot of granite and, and turrets and reinforcements and, and high and uh, seems to be impregnable and, and insurmountable if you were to ever try and charge that place. It's a high-walled military installation. Spiritual strongholds he's talking about here. Talking about destroying them, but it uses this word stronghold. A spiritual stronghold develops when our flesh or the culture around us or Satan plants a lie in someone's mind and then reinforces it. Let me say that. It's very important. 
a spiritual stronghold is created when something, however it comes, comes in, lies to a person, and then reinforces it. And a spiritual stronghold is created. Let me give an example of this. Very simple example. I think one that we can relate to. Little girl comes home from school, walks into the house, and as soon as she walks in, she smells this wonderful, wonderful smell. Her mom just made uh, oatmeal cookies. I use that. It's my story. Um, uh, that, because that's the kind that's best. How many can I get a witness here? Little girl walks in, smells oatmeal cookies. She's alone. She sees them. She knows that they're probably for later. She knows she's not supposed to have a snack before supper, but she eats too. A little while later, her mother walks in, and she notices there's a couple of cookies gone. She asks her little girl, um, did you eat any cookies? The little girl, smart little girl, she knows this. She knows if she says yes, she's going to get in trouble. She's going to be disciplined, and there will also be no more cookies, right? So the little girl says, no, no I, I must have been someone else. It wasn't me. And she gets out of it. And she realizes, wow, that's, that's pretty good. And then she does it again and again. It's not with cookies next time. It's with something else. A, a stronghold, a spiritual stronghold has just begun. That little girl, as she gets older, she will lie back at school. Not just at home. She'll lie at school. That little girl will go on and she will lie at to her boss, to her, her employer. She'll go on with life. She will, uh, she will deceive even her friends. If she grows older and she, she gets married, she will, she will have such a stronghold that what started with a couple of little cookies, now she'll deceive her husband. And she'll lie to him. And she'll hide things from him. And all the way along, she'll deceive herself. That is a spiritual stronghold. You think, well, but it started very simply, started in the mind, but a stronghold was developed. It's powerful. How many people, now again, it can all change. It's not just with deception. But how many things start so small, but with the action and then the reinforcement of it, it becomes easier and easier and easier. And now there's a, it's a spiritual stronghold. Spiritual strongholds can come in many forms. Sometimes they can come from trauma. By trauma, I mean a difficult or a painful event that the enemy takes advantage of. It's something so painful, so difficult, so frightening, so disturbing that it begins there, but the enemy takes advantage of it and it may not even be any choice that the person had, but the enemy takes advantage of it because he always is. Satan, Satan's a dirty fighter. He, he'll, 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 he'll hurt people while they're already down. Some of you know that. M most of you know that. I've shared this story with others. It's a brief story. When I was 18 years old, uh, freshman in college, I went to college in Minneapolis, um, I was driving from Minneapolis to Rapid City. I think it was uh, Thanksgiving. It was my first time home. Driving along, and my car broke down on a lonely stretch of uh, Interstate 90. Bob, you know where Cactus Flats is? You used to be in, he used to be a highway patrolman there. 
Cactus Flats, middle of nowhere. I mean, if there's a remote spot in I-90, it's right there. Um, I'd driven through the night. I'd gone to school in the morning, worked in the afternoon, got off about 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night, started driving, driving through the night. It's, uh, it's 2 in the morning when I broke down. There was a thick fog. I was incredibly tired. Um, I, I, I broke down, pulled over. There's nothing happening, and it's cold outside. I didn't have a cell phone, right? Um, cell phones hadn't been inv- wouldn't be invented for like another 20 years, and, and uh, I, I, I wasn't willing to wait until they invented it to get me out of that difficult situation. And so I'm sitting there, and, and, uh, and, and I, I, I think the town is up ahead. Kadoka is up ahead. It was actually behind me, but I didn't see it because of the thick fog. So I ended up walking what I thought was towards Kadoka. It was actually away from it. And um, I ended up walking for two hours, car after car. There weren't many cars out, but car after car passed me. I tried waving them down. They didn't. I'm getting colder. It's very disturbing. I'm frightened. I'm frightened of getting hit because the fog is so thick. And uh, finally, at about 4 o'clock in the morning, somebody stopped, uh, picked me up, and took me on into the next town, into Wall. Um, now, you think... Okay, traumas, there's worse traumas than that. And you're right. A, a, lot, a lot worse traumas. But it scared me. I mean, it really scared me. I, I, you know, I always had someone else to fall back on, but it, it really scared me. A few months later, here's, here's the thing. You're going, okay, where's this going? A few months later, um, I'm, I'm driving that same route. Uh, I was afraid that I would break down again. I, I was afraid that 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 if I got to that spot, uh, I would break down. And the closer I got to that spot, the more fearful I became. I'm driving east to west, and I'm I'm terrified of getting because I'm just in my mind. I'm convinced it's not it's not rational, but in my mind I was convinced I was going to break down at that very spot, and I was going to repeat this terrible thing. I can't explain it. I was convinced if I drove that way, I'd break down. So I. So just before I got there, I took another route, and and uh, th- because of the trauma that was associated with that place, and and I took that route, and I went all the way south, and and it added another 50 miles to my trip. Now you might think that is stupid, and you know what? You're right. I mean, the route that I took, if I'm going to break down, do it on I-90, not on Highway Road Number something to wherever. It wasn't rational. It wasn't reasonable thinking. That it made no sense. You're right. It also doesn't make sense that a 90-pound emaciated woman can look in a mirror and see herself overweight. But you see, she has more than just an eating disorder. She has a spiritual stronghold. Something has lied to her, and she believed the lie. It's been reinforced and reinforced. It's irrational from the person who's not experiencing it, but to that person it's very, very real because there's a spiritual stronghold. It makes no sense for a person of great wealth to walk into a store and shoplift, to tuck something away and walk out. You go, that makes no sense. They have the money to do it. And yet, 
Many people do that. I read one just a few months ago, an account of that. What is it? It's a spiritual stronghold. It's a lie that they bought. It's a thrill that they get, but it's been reinforced, and it happens again and again and again. It's irrational. They could pay the money and avoid the risk, but there's a spiritual stronghold. It makes no sense when someone with very little money and a whole lot of bills walks into a casino and spends the paycheck for that week. That makes no sense. And to a person not in that position, you just go, that is stupid. And you know what? You're right. It is stupid. But it's more than just a habit. It's a spiritual stronghold. Let's call it what it is. You wonder, you wonder, how can a person of one gender think they are another gender? It's a spiritual stronghold. Somebody bought the lie, it's been reinforced stronghold, fortress, a spiritual fortress has been established. There are strongholds of all kinds, strongholds of fear, strongholds of insecurity, strongholds of anger, of bitterness, of perversions, of suicide, to name just a few. There are so many strongholds that started out so innocently or start out because of some kind of a trauma, but they have become this fortress inside of a person's spirit and in their mind. In their mind. And in a world, in our world that rejects the spiritual. These things are dismissed as habits or these things are, are, are dismissed as, as, as a part of your genetics. They blame something or they blame someone, but they must be exposed for what they are. They, the Bible says they are spiritual strongholds. Here's the good news. Right? All I've given you is bad news to this point. Here's the good news. Jesus can defend our minds and he can de destroy strongholds. Look again at 2 Corinthians. The, the answer is right here in God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Read this way again. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish. I love that word, demolish. Demolish. Not, not dismantle. That's too nice. Demolish. <laughs> not, with a, not with a knife and just... No, demolish. It's like a hammer. Demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Jesus Christ. The weapons that defeat Satan's lies and strongholds are spiritual weapons. What are they? Number one, be submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to see victory in your life? You want to see strongholds demolished and torn down and taken away? Give your life to Jesus Christ. If you haven't, you can today. It's very simple. 
Just say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me, that you rose from the dead for me. I believe that there's a power beyond myself, and it is in you, and that you're the only way to heaven. Come into my heart. Forgive my sins. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. If you pray that simple prayer, God begins this wonderful, demolishing work in your life. That's where it starts. Secondly, we refute lies with the truth of God's word. If Satan is a liar, and he is, if Satan is a liar, then it's refuted with truth. And that is the word of God. We need to be people of this word. This word is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It changes lives. It delivers people. It instructs people. It gives them wisdom. Listen to me. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. You better be a person who's in this book. There's power in this book. There's lies around us all the time. I'm telling you, man, I, I, I think you'd lose count if you started counting the number of lies that come your way every day. But there's all kinds of lies from our flesh, from the culture, from around us, from Satan himself, and we need to battle them with the power of God's word. Now, here's the thing. Some of you, the only word you're getting is off of a screen on a Sunday morning. And if, you're, if that's the only word that you're getting is that, then, then, then don't be surprised that, that you are just getting pushed around all of your life. power in God's word. Prayer is a spiritual weapon. Praise is a spiritual weapon. What we did this morning was not to warm you up, get you ready for the word and sing. There's power when people in Jesus' name praise him. There's power there. There's power in prayer. There's power when we push everything else aside and say, God, I'm going to talk to you and I want your Holy Spirit to talk to me. There's power in that. We need these power to to see these strongholds. They demolish strongholds. Stop, and some of you need to stop enabling strongholds. By enabling, I mean making excuses for them. You need to stop enabling and coddling and reinforcing spiritual strongholds. Demolish them in Jesus' name. Now, I need to finish my story. The next time I drove that route to my parents' home, I knew that this thing, remember the last time that I had gone there, I'd gone a different route, added 50 miles to my trip. I knew that, well, first of all, I knew I didn't want to take that bypass every time. And I also knew, I believe the Holy Spirit put it there, I knew that this could become a spiritual stronghold in my life. So I prepared myself uh, about 20 miles before I got to that part. And I'm telling you, the fear this time, I know it's irrational, but the fear that I was experiencing at that point was just as real as the time before. But I kept driving. About 20 miles before that spot, mile marker, I think 146, high, I-90. Uh, uh, I... I uh, about 20 miles before, I began praying. I began praising. I'm singing praises. I, uh, I prayed in the Spirit. I began quoting Scripture. I, I, I'm, memory, the things that I would committed to memory, I pulled them back and I'm quoting them. I was still scared. I wanted to, again, take that other route to avoid that place, that, that 
that, that place that held those memories. But I continued driving, and I continued praying, and, and, and I continued quoting Scripture. And when I came to that place, I remember it so well. It's a lot of years ago, but I remember it so well. When I came to that place, that spot, something amazing happened. First of all, the car kept going. It was just remarkable. The car kept going. I got a different car a few months later that kind of eliminated some of the problem, but the car kept going. It didn't go, hey, wait a minute, I was supposed to stop back there. Car didn't, car didn't care. Car's inanimate. The car kept going. That didn't break down. But something spiritual happened inside of me. Something so profound happened within me. The spiritual stronghold of fear that Satan would have used in other places. That spiritual stronghold of fear that could have been passed on to my wife. Oh, you know, honey, we're going to go here because there's some bad things that happened at that mile marker. Oh, really? Right? I mean, that's how things happen. A fear that could have been passed on to my children or, or, or to others was absolutely demolished. And I remember that feeling of glory to God. It wasn't just that I passed that mile marker. Glory to God, it was that fear was demolished in my, the spiritual stronghold of fear was demolished in my life. And I can honestly tell you, glory to God, that, that uh, fear has not been a big thing in my life. There have been a lot of things that I've done in the last number of decades in which had fear been a spiritual stronghold in my life, I would have never done them. I would have never gone there. I would have never trusted God. I wouldn't be here. I don't know where I would be, but I know that there would have been a lot of victories that were totally bypassed because I kept taking a bypass because of fear. I'm telling you, glory to God, there's not much I'm, I'm afraid of. Spiders and spiders I'm afraid of. I don't, I don't like them. I don't fear much else. Glory to God. Not because of me, because of him. Because he tore down, he demolished a stronghold in my life. Or the beginning of one. Fellow believers, wrong thinking patterns and spiritual strongholds come from Satan's lies. They are exposed, they must be exposed and destroyed with spiritual weapons. Not by therapy alone. Not by human reason alone or by education alone. You can be very educated. And I'm, I'm for it. That's wonderful. But you cannot be educated out of a spiritual stronghold. They must be demolished. And they are demolished with the powerful weapons that God has given us. We need to take fortress. So many people are caught in that fortress, but the Bible says we are to take every thought captive. We don't let the thoughts take us captive because of Jesus. We take captive every thought. We need to expose every thought to the Word of God. We need to make every thought obedient to Jesus Christ. So is your mind surrendered to Jesus? Is your mind surrendered to Jesus. Joni, would you come with the team? Come to a very important spot. I don't want to simply preach about strongholds demolished. I want there to be strongholds demolished. 
I don't want to just talk about this in theory. I want to experience it. What we're about to do is a very spiritual thing. We are giving you the opportunity to respond and say, there's a stronghold. Or maybe, maybe you're coming and you're going to pray for someone who you know. But I want you to first do the first line, and that is, is there, is there something in me? Any kind of stronghold, any kind. Any kind. But I recognize it now for what it is. It's a lie. It may have begun a short time ago or a very long time ago, but it's been reinforced. And I have, I have, I have surrendered to that so many times, and, and I need deliverance from Jesus Christ. In a moment, we're going to stand. I'm going to, we're going to open up these altars. We're going to praise. Uh, we're, going to, we're, going to, we're going to gather around these altars, some of you, and, and you're going to pray, and we're going to, we're going to pray that today, 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 there are some strongholds that are going to be demolished, not placated, not enabled, not reinforced, not excused, demolished. For I believe that what God does, says in his word, he will do today. Believe that? I do. Would you stand with me, please? In these next few moments, um, as we sing this song, I want you to come. Now, immediately, some of you are thinking, I, people are going to be watching me, um, uh, or I'm concerned what other people are going to think. Two things about that. Number one, uh, uh, that is fear, and you can't give in to that. Because God wants to do a work in your life, and you being concerned about what someone else thinks um, is holding you back from uh, victory. Don't you let it. Second thing, 10 minutes from now, an hour from now, they will not remember that you were up here, nor will they ever think about it again. Because you know what? They don't think about you nearly as much as you think they think about you. Get over it. You're not that important. Amen. Little things like that, just, oh no, I can't go up there because they're going to think bad about it. Well, that's a stronghold. I'm trusting God for victories today. The Holy Spirit has been speaking to you about some far different maybe than those that I've mentioned. I believe He wants to do something. All right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start. Come forward. I'm going to close right now in prayer. When you're done praying, consider yourselves dismissed. I know I have a meeting with some people here in a little bit, but uh, I'm going to spend some time with praying with people around these altars. And, uh, and when you're done praying, God bless you. You may go. Uh, but go in victory, right? Go in victory knowing that today was demolition day. Hallelujah. D-Day, demolition day. Hallelujah. He does that. He wants to do it. Jesus. I pray now in these final moments of this service, as in obedience, join, being drawn by your Holy Spirit to see strongholds demolished that you would do it here. Lord, I believe that there are going to be things that are going to happen today that should, should, should you give us time, Lord, we're going to see the positive effects of strongholds defeated today. We need spiritual strongholds torn down, and they're done with spiritual weapons. I pray this. And Lord, beyond this day, 
when, when, when these things are, are being torn down, I pray that they would not be reinforced, but that, that, that we, would, we would go through that route, and every time we go by that spot again, we will say, glory to God, my God, for it now. For victory. Lord, what was a place of great pain suddenly becomes, becomes a place of great victory, a memorial to the victory, to the power of God. I pray it again today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. These altars are open. Come as we sing.